Alright, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Are you ready? I'm always ready. Woohoo! I don't know Yay. what I'm ready for, but I'm always ready. God, I feel like it's been forever since we've done this. I don't know why. We do it every week. I know. We took a couple weeks off, though. Well, yeah. Because we were, we were ahead. Well, we try to stay ahead. We do. Hi, and everyone. Welcome to Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. How are you today? We hope that today finds you amazing. Wonderful. Happy. Fantastic. Relaxed. Partially drunk. Uh, it's Sunday. It might be Sunday morning for them. I hope they're not partially drunk yet. Mimosas, dear. Mimosas. Adult coffee. That's right. Adult coffee! We'll drink to that. We'll drink to anything. <laughs> anyway, I am Mary Swartz. I'm Hannah Green. And we're here to lead you on this adventure. We have no idea whether it's really an adventure for you or if it's torture, but welcome. It's an adventure because I said so. Okay. It is. Anyway, thanks for joining us, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. I'm feeling kind of silly. All right. I almost have forgotten what we're doing. So, Mary. Yeah. What's new in your life? So many things. Yeah? So many things. Anything you want to share? I'm going to start riding my bike. Good for you. Got tires pumped up. Looks good. Awesome. My husband took it for a ride. Seems to ride well. Not sure if that's the same thing that's going to happen when I get on it. But we'll see. Nice. I know. Anything else? I have a little bit more free time on my hands, and it's been quite lovely. I've gotten a lot of stuff done at home, in the yard, in the garage, everywhere. Yay. Did some cooking. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. Well, feel free to spend some of your free time spoiling your younger sister. The one that lives here. I was going to say, Lynn? She has a husband for that. The one that doesn't have a husband. Your earrings are very cute today. Oh, thank you. Hannah has little daisies and with dangly little... There's a bee and a pearl. Yeah, they're really cute. They're very summery and cute and... They make me happy. You always wear cute earrings, though. Thank you. You are welcome. So, Mary. Yeah. You want to tell our listeners what we're drinking? Um, Coffee. Delicious coffee. Yes. Um, It's a little bit lighter in color than what I usually drink because I normally don't put anything in my coffee. But Hannah created something delicious for us today that we're starting out with. So I was feeling a little fun and festive, summery, if you will. So this morning we are drinking vanilla creme brulee coffee, which I have turned into an adult beverage. Um, kind of a chocolate-covered cherry. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of what it tastes like, a chocolate-covered cherry in a cup. So our our coffee has a shot of Godiva chocolate liqueur in it. It has a shot of Di Sorono amaretto in it. And it has a little tiny dribble of grenadine in it. It's kind of what it tastes like. Yeah, well, that was my goal, and it turned out perfect. It did. So. It turned out very, very well. Good Yay. job. It's fun. I like to create things. I know, especially when it involves alcohol. <laughs> we have a lot of alcohol to play with. Or podcasts. That is true. That is very true. Also, cookies. I like to create cookies. Oh, good. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, for those of our listeners who are interested, next Wednesday on Murder, Mischief, and Moscato. That's our other podcast for those of you who are out of the loop. Um, we present a story of the man in the attic, which <laughs> was quite bizarre. Yes, yes, And it we was. have a few tidbits on how to store or maybe how not to store a dead body. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. That one was fun, too. That was. Um, in the following week, on the 18th, we our episode... For murder, mischief, and Moscato is in t- it is titled "A Rabbit Here, A Rabbit There." <laughs> so Han and I took the murderous villain test for this episode. So find out what villains we are most likely to think, emulate. To emulate, I didn't totally. I mean, part of mine I agreed with, and part of it I totally did not. Agreed. Um, and then we, Johanna presents the story of Mary Taft, quite the unusual woman who gave birth to some very unusual things. <laughs> That's, oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Sweet. So we have some national days to share with you. Absolutely. As always. Hell yes, we do. We have all kinds of good stuff. We have, today is a very full day, I feel like, which is awesome. Good. I'll drink to that. While you talk, I'll drink. Let's talk about zucchini for a minute. I like it. My husband hates it. I sneak it into his food. He knows I do it. He's just not sure where, when, or how. Did you know that zucchini is a fruit? No, I did not know that. And if you're a gardener, you probably already know that zucchini grows abundantly. Abundantly, yes. And it can grow excessively large if you. Yes. Yeah. It can take on a life of its own, to say the least. It is typically ready to harvest around the beginning of August. Okay. And most people who grow zucchini. End up with way more yes. than they ever thought they'd have. Oh, God, yes. People give it to me, though, and I like that because I can't. It. Right. Well, August 8th is sneak some zucchini onto your neighbor's porch day. Hey, you guys are welcome to sneak some zucchini right onto my porch. I will take it. I will appreciate it. Zucchini is incredibly helpful for weight loss. Not when you put it in brownies, cupcakes, chocolate <laughs> cake, and banana bread. <laughs> No, not so much. I don't think that's what they meant by that. (laughs) This produce is low in calories. It is high in fiber. It is full of water. Yes. So when you eat it, your tummy feels full. Yeah. But you really haven't consumed anything of substance. Right. So if your zucchini produces well or your neighbors sneak it onto your porch, you can add it to soups. You can add it to salads. You can saute it. Broil it. Broil it. Um, I've actually done zucchini boats. Oh, yeah. Those are lovely. Those are good. Kids like to make those, I think. Yeah. Um, My kids did. <clears throat> I have an amazing, amazing, amazing zucchini chocolate chip cookie recipe, mm-hmm. which is unbelievable. Yeah, I have chocolate chip zucchini bread, chocolate chip zucchini muffins. Like oh, I yeah. said, I can it. It's really lovely because it actually adds a layer of moisture yeah, it does. to your baked goods. Yes. Oh, so good. And it really has no next to no flavor when it's added to things. No, people don't know. I have a story. Okay. So we grew up eating this dish 
called zucchini casserole. Yes, because I thought it was bikini casserole for a long time. <laughs> I called it bikini casserole. I liked it. I love zucchini casserole. I can't make it on my own, though. Why? First of all, I don't know how. Oh, I have the recipe. And second of all, I'm the only one in my house that eats zucchini willingly. Oh, okay. Well, that goes along with my story. Okay. So in a previous life of mine, I prepared a casserole dish of zucchini casserole to go with dinner. We grew up eating it. It's delicious. Okay. Yes. Zucchini casserole has rice and cheese and tomatoes and bacon and zucchini and spices and it's layered and you bake it and it's delicious. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so I made a casserole, zucchini casserole to go with our dinner. I don't remember what else was with dinner. And the man that I was married to probably ate three or four helpings. And as he was finishing his last helping, he said, this is amazing. I don't know why you've never made it before. What is it? And I said, without thinking about it, it's zucchini casserole. And with that statement, he put his fork down and he was done eating. And he was not pleased. That is a psychological mess in his brain. Yes. But it is an amusing story to me that someone could love something so much, scarf down three or four helpings, and then find out that it has zucchini in it and just be instantly disgusted and done eating. Well, we'll just classify him in the idiot classification <laughs> where he truly absolutely belongs. So if you end up with zucchini, regardless of how you acquire it, you can preserve it by shredding it and freezing it. I have done that and it actually, I prefer to can it better because shredding it and freezing it, um, it retains a lot of water, and you actually have to drain it before you use it. Yes, but if you're going to put it into soups or sauces or things like that, it's perfect. Well, yeah, that would so. be true. That would be true. Of course, you can bake it into breads and yep. deliver it to your neighbors. There you go. To share with them. Right to so my porch. If your neighbors leave zucchini on your porch, turn it into baked goods and leave them back on their porch. Ooh, good plan. Of course, like we said, you can add zucchini to tomato sauces, pasta dishes, soups, make a stir fry, grill it. And if you grill it, try sprinkling it with some garlic and parmesan. Yum, yum. So yeah, sneak some zucchini onto your neighbor's porch day. All right. If you need our address, let us know. Um, so for my national day, I'm going to start with a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. All right. Ralph, Miss, Mr. Emerson said, for every minute you are angry. You lose 60 seconds of happiness. And if you think about that, that's super true. Yeah. Simple but true. So smile on August 8th to share in National Happiness Happens Day. On this day each year, just let it happen. You know, happiness. Because happiness happens. The day encourages happiness all day. Recognize a moment of glee, joy, delight, pleasure. Don't let it just go by. Uh, more importantly, if you feel like giggling, giggle. Oh, we do that a lot. Uh, if it blooms into full-blown laughter, let it. We have frequently laughed until we had tears running down our face. Yes. Um, to me, another important element of this day prohibits the squashing of other people's happiness. If someone yeah. else is happy, leave them alone. Yeah. From time to time, we might find that someone else's happiness is irritating. And those... Moments usually happen when we're having a bad day ourselves. Yes, that is true. And, you know, but if you don't squash their happiness, 
it tends to be infectious. Yeah. So remember that if you're having a bad day, that doesn't give you the right to squash someone else's happiness, their joy. Um, perhaps their ability to smile will blow the storm clouds away from whatever's going on in your life. So share your happiness and seek ways to infuse happiness into your life. Use the hashtag happiness happens day, post it on social media, and let others know to do the same. Now here's some history. Okay. Happiness Happens Day was founded in 1999 by the Secret Society of Happy People. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. I guess that's why they're a secret society. Yes. It was also termed Admit Your Happy Day. Um, It was created to recognize and express happiness. The Secret Society of Happy People is an organization that was founded in 1998, and it was formed to celebrate the expression of happiness. The society encourages members to recognize their happy moments and to think about the happy things that happen every day in your daily life. Yep. They have two models. Happiness happens and don't even think of raining on my parade. <laughs> their pur- purpose is to stimulate other people's rights to express their happiness. So smile, have a happy thought, think happy things, think good things, and enjoy National Happiness Happens Day. Well, and how many times have one of us... And not just you and I, but one of us in general, as in society, been having a bad day. And we came across usually a younger child who is just enjoying life and they're laughing and they're giggling and you can't help but smile and be happy by the time you're done watching this happy display. Because if you think about it, children's happiness is very infectious. Because it's not from, it's not generally from anything in particular. It's because they love life and they're very imaginative and they're very creative and they just enjoy what they're doing. Complete, unfettered happiness. Yeah. Enjoy it. Absolutely. Suck it up. Soak it up. Yeah. All right. So while you enjoy your coffee, I have a little tidbit for us. All right. We're going to call it, it's a Willy Wonka world. Okay. I'm going to guess that most of us have seen the movie or read the book by Roald Dahl about Willy Wonka and his chocolate factory. Oh, God, yeah. Many times over. I have read the book. I've seen both versions of the movie. I love both of them for different reasons. I think it's pretty awesome. As a kid, I thought that living that exact fantasy would be amazing. I have to point something out, though. Yes. This was pointed out to me. I don't know, a week or so ago. When you're watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The original or the remake? I don't know that I've ever seen the remake. Okay. The Chocolate River. If you think about it thoroughly, it's kind of a disgusting thought. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Because that poor kid, and what the article I read was about how this poor kid had to redo and redo and redo the scene of falling in the Chocolate River and getting sucked up the tube. Yes. And one chocolate he was falling in. I know. I'm aware. Um, that's I've, kind of a gross, disgusting thought when you think about it. I've read some... So they're going to make candy out of this chocolate river that this child just fell into. Yeah. Clothes, shoes, everything. Yep. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> who really wouldn't want to live in a world full of amazing candy and chocolate where literally your imagination can just come to life? As a child, that's an amazing thought. As an adult, I just went into sugar overload thinking about it. Because I know what that kind of sugar does to me as an adult. Yeah. 
Well, as an adult, it would be different. I would love the ability to let my creative imagination run wild, but I wouldn't necessarily feel the need to eat any of it. Oh, yeah, don't stick me in that scenario because you'll never get another word in. What if I told you that for some lucky residents in Switzerland, that fantasy came true? At least kind of. Okay. In the town of Olten, Switzerland, there's a chocolate factory. Okay. Switzerland is known for really good chocolate. Well, this happens to be the Lint Chocolate Factory. <gasps> Ooh, they make very, very nice chocolate. Yes, they do. I like to imagine that the air smells amazing all the time. Okay. I think we should just leave that right there. At least if you are a diehard chocolate lover like me, it would smell amazing all the time. Yes. In theory. In theory. In theory. In theory. I'm the kind of girl that prefers chocolate over flowers any day. If you're going to spend money on me, don't buy me flowers. They're just going to die. Let me eat the chocolate. (laughs) Seriously. All right. In August of 2020, Olten turned into a sort of real-life Willy Wonka world. A minor defect developed in the cooling ventilation for a line that produces roasted cocoa nibs. For those who don't know, cocoa nibs are fragmented cocoa beans, and they serve as the base for chocolate. That day, the defect developed, and it was also a particularly windy day. The ventilation problem, which really was very minor on its own, combined with the strong winds, sucked the cocoa nibs out the ventilation system, and ta-da! All over town? It rained cocoa dust all over the area around the chocolate factory. Oh my god, people run around licking their trees <laughs> and their cars. Well, just so you know. Like the- snowflakes, you got all those kids running around with their tongues hanging out like snowflakes coming um, down. So imagine, though, do. that this is, you, you, you've used baking cocoa. Yeah. I, the I powder. Know. Yes. So roasted cocoa nibs, the dust would be bitter because there's right. no sugar there's been no added, sugar to, added yeah. to it. Yeah. So, yes, chocolate snow, if you will. Sweet. Right? Thankfully, not only was no one hurt in the chocolate snow incident. <laughs> the cocoa dust was also not harmful to the environment or any of the animals in any way. That's good. Yeah. That is good. <laughs> Talk about climate change, though. Oh, I could Jesus. totally live with chocolate snow. Oh, my God. That's amazing. There was one car that was covered in a fine layer of the cocoa dust. We may need a picture of that. It's out there. I imagine there was probably more than one. Probably. But only one that was actually photographed and reported on. Okay. The company did offer to pay for the cleanup, but no one took them up on their offer. They probably just licked it clean. <laughs> Kids, come help me. (laughs) The company also reported that the ventilation issue did not cause any production delays at the factory. Thank God. No kidding. The last thing the world needs is less chocolate. (laughs) So there you go. Chocolate snow. Dreams really do come true. Oh, my God. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. I don't know that I have any dream tidbits like that. So um, we'll just go... The goldfish. Goldfish? Goldfish. Tell me about goldfish, Mary. They're causing a little bit of a problem in Minnesota. I believe I may have heard something about this. The authorities have actually gotten involved in the goldfish problem in Minnesota. Um, They are urging residents and the owners of pet goldfish to not put them in lakes and ponds, 
um, because basically this has resulted in a takeover of one entire lake by overgrown goldfish. They Because goldfish are known to grow as big as their environment. Right. People so assume you, that they're small because they keep them in small bowls. Yes. No, they will grow to their environment. Yes. Massive. So they, first of all, grow bigger than people expect. They contribute to poor water quality. They muck up the bottom sediments and they uproot the plants, which totally and screws I'm, up with the whole nature of the, the ecosystem in the Well, I was going to say, and I imagine because they're not native. Right. They also end up causing disruptions in the food chain. Oh, they absolutely do. Um, and this is the second time that Minnesota lakes have become overrun with goldfish. So, oh my gosh! Last November, so that would be in twenty twenty, wildlife officials removed thousands of goldfish swimming in the Big Lakes, Big Woods Lake in Chaska, Minneapolis. They removed five hundred thousand goldfish. Five hundred thousand, as in half a million. They reproduce quick. When they're out there, they reproduce quick, yes. The problem has also cropped up in Boulder, Colorado, in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, where researchers have found thousands of goldfish in local lakes. The act of dumping unwanted goldfish into local ponds is actually illegal, including in Minnesota, where they're having these problems. It's considered illegal fish stocking. This kind of fish stocking upsets the balance of existing natural, natural fish communities and goldfish carry diseases that are not natural, too. Right. So there's no immune system in the lakes for that. Well, and goldfish are part of the carp family. Yeah. Which I don't know if a lot of people know that. But yeah. Goldfish are considered an invasive species. They uproot underwater plants. They compete with native fish for food and shelter. They are also extremely speedy reproducers, and they can live up to 25 years. Also... Goldfish that have been released into lakes can actually take on a dull olive green color that allows them to blend into the bottom of the ponds and makes them harder to catch and find. That would, because you're looking for orange or yellow. Right. It also helps them to hide from predators. Yeah. So if you have a goldfish and you realize that you don't want to spend 25 years with this goldfish, it's not what you want, it's not what you had in mind. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service asks that you put your fish up for adoption. And if you don't want to do that, another alternative is to contact a local veterinarian or pet retailer to find ways to humanly dispose of your fish besides dumping it in the local lake or pond. Yeah. So, I mean, most people think of a goldfish as like an inch, two inches long. Right. In the wild, they can grow up to like 12 to 14 inches long. Oh, yeah, long. they're huge. They can be huge. Well, and there's a lot of different varieties of goldfish. Yes. So we're just talking about like your standard 99-cent yeah. goldfish that you would buy at a store. Mm-hmm. But if you were to buy a fancy type of goldfish, then, yes. you know, different varieties can can grow different yeah. sizes. Um, some of them can be as long as 18 inches, and they can be like in excess of 4 pounds. Yes. So, Yeah. Don't do that anymore. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. All right, so we're going to go from Minnesota to Ohio. Okay. All righty. Driver involved in a high-speed collision after she literally tried to let God take the wheel. (laughs) Now faces multiple charges. Yes. On June 15th, officers responded to an intersection in the city of Beechwood where a car had knocked down several power lines, a utility pole, and crashed into a house. 
shortly before midnight. Lord. No one in the house was hurt. Thank Thank God. God. So, according to the police report, a woman, 31 years of age, approaches the officers and told them that she was driving the car and that her daughter, who was 11, was also in the car. She's still in the front passenger seat. So, the mother and the daughter are taken to the hospital to be evaluated. And after watching traffic cameras, they show that the woman's vehicle is going at more than 100 miles an hour, speeding through red lights. The woman hits another car, causing her vehicle to spin until it crashes into the utility pole, another car, and then the house. The other driver's not injured. My first thought, immediate thought when you tell me this is, that poor child in the front seat of the car... Probably terrified. Exactly. I can't even... Oh, my gosh. So, at the hospital, she's evaluated. They don't detect any signs of impairment from drugs or alcohol. So, they say, what the hell happened? So, the woman woman tells the police officers that she intentionally drove that fast. She intentionally drove through the red lights to test her faith in God. She's going through some rough times in her life. She's been recently fired from her job. She said she decided to just let go and let God take the wheel. Apparently, she didn't let God take the gas pedal, but just the wheel. <laughs> she believes she did the right thing. Yes, well, um, if she thought she had problems prior to this, she's going to have even more now. Yeah. She faces multiple charges, including felony assault, endangering a child, and driving under suspension, because apparently her license was suspended also. Oh, why am I not surprised to hear that? <laughs> well, I'm sorry you've never let God take the wheel. I may have let God take the wheel, but not the wheel of my car while I was driving it. (laughs) Too funny. Too funny. Crazy people. There are some insane people. Wow. Insane. All right. Sweet. All right. The story that I have for you today was a listener suggestion. Ooh, I love listener suggestions. I, I love it when our listeners get involved. They send us ideas. They send us thoughts. They, they actually sometimes send us actual stories. They send us news articles. This one is called Animals on Trial. Okay. The story is about Europe's shameful and largely forgotten history of putting animal criminals on trial. Okay. And either executing them or maybe for a plague of insects, ordering them to leave town. Not only by a certain day, but by an exact time. Today, we have a problem thinking about how this irrational things could have happened. But as early as 824 AD, all the way up until the middle of the 18th century, animals were actually held to the same moral standards as humans. Pardon me? They suffered the same capital punishments, and they even rotted in the same jails. I feel like I've missed something here. (laughs) I think you have. All right. So we'll start on September 5th of 1379. We're at a French monastery. There's a couple herds of pigs. The pigs grow agitated, and they kill the man named Perignon Moy. Okay. As was custom at the time, the pigs, because they were the actual murderers, and some of them, who were only onlookers, were tried for this horrible crime, and they're all sentenced to death. Because none of the pigs did anything to stop the murdering pigs. So you can't just be an onlooker. You have to be in it. You, you, have, to, you have to do something about it. Okay. It was proven in court that they, the pigs, approved of the assault because they cried and they had aggressive actions. So they could not be allowed to escape 
justice. So they're tried, they're convicted, they're sentenced to death. But the monastery's friar, because I think the monastery owned the pigs, couldn't bear to suffer the economic loss of all of the pigs. So he wrote to the Duke of Burgundy, pleading for him to pardon the onlookers. Just murder the murders. Just kill the murders. The onlooking pigs really didn't participate, so they should be allowed to go free. But the onlookers, the onlookers should be... <laughs> the onlooking pigs, yes. Okay. So the Duke of Burgundy lent an ear to his petition, and he ordered that the punishment should be remitted. The three pigs who had actually committed the crime were sentenced, and the rest of them were released. Okay. Okay. Records don't show how the three pigs were executed, although at that point in time, it was very common for offending animals to be hanged or burned alive for their crimes. <laughs> I just want to know, do the, do the offending animals, do they get, you know, offered like a blindfold or anything when they're hung? You know, do they put a know. bag over their head? Probably. We treated them like people. Oh, my God. Have a sip of coffee. You ready? No, let me swallow this okay. first. I'd like to not spit it out. Okay. Okay. In the fall of 1457, the villagers in Sauvigny, France, yes. witnessed a sow and six piglets attack and kill a five-year-old boy. Okay. okay. In the 15th century, French pigs who misbehave go to court. All right. And um, this was a real trial. They had a judge. They had two prosecutors. Jesus. Eight witnesses. And because it's a pig, a defense attorney. For the accused swine. I want to know how do the okay, animals no? the way. I want to know how do the animals participate in their own defense? I don't know. Witness testimony proved beyond reasonable doubt that the sow had killed the child. The piglet's role, however, was a little unclear. Even though they were splattered with blood, they were never seen directly attacking the boy. So the judge sentenced the sow to be hanged by her hind legs from the gallows tree, and the piglets were exonerated because there was no actual evidence against them. Hind legs. Hind legs, upside down. This seems torturous. Inhumane? Yes. You better call PETA. I don't know. So it does seem that Europe's worst serial offenders were, were pigs. This very well could be due to the fact that they weren't penned up. They were allowed to run free in the streets and just do what the hell they wanted. So these kind of things apparently are very bizarre to us in modern times. But animal trials were very commonplace in medieval and early modern Europe. Pigs, cows, goats, horses, dogs that allegedly broke the law were routinely subjected to the same legal proceedings as humans, as I said. In a court of law, they are treated as persons. These trials always adhered to the strictest, strictest legal procedures, and they reveal a long-gone mentality because they took the animals and they put moral values on the animals. Right. So researchers who have explored the subject of animals on trial. Generally, they avoid addressing this mentality. Instead, they place animal trials in several different practical frameworks. Okay. A leading explanation from legal scholars and historians is that in a society of people who believe deeply in a divinely determined order of being, with humans at the top, any disruption of God's hierarchy had to be visibly restored with a formal event. So another hypothesis is that animal trials may have provided an, the authorities an opportunity to intimidate the owners of the animals who ran roughshod through the commons like the pigs. So basically they are saying that if we hang your cow upside down from the gallows, it's like a public service announcement. 
make your animals behave. So while these explanations kind of partway explain animal trials, none of them fully, fully explain it. They don't really explain why citizens go to great pains to create space for humans to judge animals for their actions. We don't really understand why we're trying to send a stern message to animal owners by prosecuting their animals. Okay. Prosecuting the animals was not inexpensive. So, you you know, what kind of message are you sending to the owners? Right. Yeah. You could have done it a little more cheaply by just executing the animal without a trial. So what the trials strongly suggest is that pre-industrial citizens deemed that the animals among them were worthy of human justice primarily because they had, like humans, the animals had the free will to make basic choices. Pardon me? So in a trial, the judge would routinely consider the animal's personal circumstances before making a legal decision. So if we take the exonerated piglets in the opening story, the judge deemed them innocent, not only on technical grounds because no one came forth and said the piglets attacked a five-year-old boy. Right. But also because the pigs were immature. And then because they were so young, they were poorly positioned to make clear choices. They didn't know better. Furthermore, the piglets had been raised by a very bad mother. <laughs> Pardon me? And they were unable to internalize the proper codes of conduct for village-dwelling pigs. The judge also considered the intentions of the animal. In a 1379 case, which was also in France, the son of a swine keeper was attacked and killed by two herds of swine. And the courts determined that one herd initiated the attack and the other herd joined in afterwards. So the judge sentenced both herds to death because, because their evident cries of enthrallment were said to confirm their expressed approval of it, whether they were directly responsible or not. There was a sow hanged in 1567 who was convicted of not only assaulting a four-month-old girl, but doing so with extreme cruelty. I feel like I've missed something. You have missed a lot of things. Clearly. You might want to read this story to your cats so that maybe they'll behave better. That would be lovely. The content of an animal's character was also a factor in the courtroom deliberations. Okay. In 1750. Yes. Are you listening? I am listening. A man and a she-ass landed Hold in on. court. A she-ass? A female mule. And they're called she-ass? Yes. Or did you make that term up? Works. <laughs> they had to go to court for alleged bestiality. Oh. The man was quickly convicted and sentenced to death. The she-ass, however, was exonerated because the townspeople submitted documents to the court noting that in all her words and all her deeds and all her habits of life, she was a most honest creature. The documents that the townspeople submitted led the jury to conclude that she was the innocent victim of a violent and deviant master. Oh. So she didn't really have a choice. All right. So only domesticated animals were put to that kind of character examination. Okay. The expectation being that living among humans... Domesticated animals better understood the difference between right and wrong. Okay. So when pigs would behave badly in the courtroom while they're in the prisoner's box, they called this lack of composure and would count against them during their sentencing. So there are some 200 plus cases of known animal executions. There are executions of bulls, horses, eels, dogs, sheep, 
and one of a dolphin. The dolphin was tried and executed in Marseilles in 1596. But if you think that's bad, let's go to another level. The first complaint against weevils was made by grape growers in 1545. Weevils. Wait, 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 wait. How do you execute a weevil? You hang it. I mean, I suppose you could attempt to burn them. Oh, my God. Okay. So the first complaint was made by grape growers in 1545. Okay. And this complaint simply resulted in an announcement for public prayers to account for the weevil's sins and thus will the weevils away. Okay. Pray loudly and will the weevils away. And indeed, the weevils fled. I have strawberry weevils in my house right now. Do you? Pray. You're not praying hard enough. I've done some research. They're really common. They don't hurt anything. You should pray. I get a, get them every year. Apparently, that's what I'm doing wrong. Prayer. But alas, the weevils were willed away. Mm. But they returned 30 years later. 30 years? 30 years. Oh. And the town was forced to take them to court. The trial began on April 13th of 1587. The lawyer's name was Antoine Brillot. He was assigned as the weevil's public defender. He argued that his clients had been placed on earth by God, who would never, ever have put them here without the sustenance to survive. It was just a bit unfortunate this particular sustenance happened to be the town's crops. The prosecution, however, asserted that the town's dominion over the visiting weevils, even though the animals were created before men were, but they asserted that weevils were intended to be secondary to humans, and the weevils should be obedient to humans. And that that was the reason for their creation, so they could be obedient to humans. So the prosecution then compromised, and they offered the weevils attractive land with the understanding that humans were allowed to use it any time to go back and forth. The defense attorney declined this offer because the land was sterile and had no food source for his clients. <laughs> the trial lasted eight months. Dear God. We're not really sure what the decision was because that's kind of been lost in history. Wow. I'm pretty sure that when the weevils come back after 30 years, it might not be the same weevils. Just my thought. In the 16th century... Well, I just have this thought. I have a question. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Okay. Again, no problem. That's a skillful lawyer, I have to say. He did a good job defending his clients. How long do weevils live? Ah. My guess is not 30 years, but... Well, clearly. And... So let's just go with, how long do weevils live? And how many offspring does one weevil produce? I don't know. I feel like, and how do you... How a do weevil we, will live two to three months. Okay. All right. So 30 years later, you're talking... Great, 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 great grandchildren of the original weevils. Many greats. If there are even any actual, you know, I mean, like... I, I I don't know I don't know about insect inbreeding and stuff so I can't really comment here but um but I just can't just oh you're at a loss for words shall we go on I also have the thought of what happens when the weevils outnumber the humans I'm sure that they probably do I'm sure they did but if you if you try to contain them to a plot of land let's just think about this for a minute. <laughs> I feel like there is a really, really, really awful B-rated movie in here somewhere. The trial lasted for eight months. By which time the clients are dead. 
several times over. <laughs> You're now dealing with like their great, great, great grandchildren. Yes. All right. Let's move on. Let's. In the 16th century, there was a very famous animal public defender. His name was Bartholomew Chassonet. He first demonstrated his skill defending rats, which had feloniously eaten up and wantonly destroyed the barley crop of the province of Atun in France. In a very nice bit of lawyering, he argued that it was impossible to summon all of his furry clients to court and they should just be excused on the ground of the length and the difficulty of their journey and the serious perils which, it, which they would have to go through to get to court because of all the, their mortal enemies laying around the cats who would lay in wait for them at every corner and passage. So it was very deadly for them to all come to court so they should just be excused. Who picks the defense attorney? I don't know, but he apparently was a very famous animal public defender. I'm just saying, you know, is this a volunteer job? Like you volunteer to be the defense attorney or does the court assign you to be the defense attorney? Would you like to be the defense attorney? I feel like I could defend animals. All right. As long as I don't have to actually try to follow any real laws. So there was also... In addition to trials, there was a great range of punishments for these critters. They weren't always sentenced to death. Quite frequently, the rats were sent a friendly letter of advice. Oh, because they can read now. (laughs) In order to induce them to quit any house that they were in, in which their presence was deemed undesirable. Did someone read the letter to them? Don't know. Please leave. We don't want you here. (laughs) should try that with the weevils okay yes pray and then send them a letter send them a cease and desist letter what if i have to like post the property too? no trespassing hey i think you should do i have to take them to court to evict them i think you should give it a shot all right um and then you will have a story to do about me because it will make the national probably the international news probably so how are we supposed to look at the fact that our ancestors yes when you hire an exterminator, do you have to, like, give the pests that you're trying to rid your location of, do you have to give them 30 days evacu- ev- eviction notice? I don't believe so. Not now. You or might have is it considered murder? Not if you don't do it. I'm just saying, you know, is it murder by, by hire? Yeah, yeah. You might want to watch yourself. Wow. All right. So, how are we as modern-day people, supposed to view the fact that our ancestors gave animals a sense of moral action. A lot of people mock them, uh, make fun of them, um, because of the way they handled stuff. In, in today's society, mm-hmm. if an animal, such as an orca at an animal park, a grizzly in the wild, a, fe- a pet dog... If they attack a human, they are typically put down. So we are holding those animals to a higher standard. But at what point do you draw the line? First of all, let's be real. Animals are doing what animals are instinctively yeah. born to do. It's not, it's not a, it's not a, let's flip a coin. Should I leave this person alone? No, they're not flipping a coin. They're saying, you're in my territory. Get the fuck out. Right. That is what they do. They're wild animals for a reason. Yes. And you and I have had several discussions on 
I believe, both podcasts now about humans who interfere with wild animals. Yeah. And as Andrew pointed out one day, why do we call it a shark attack? We're in their home. Mm-hmm. If someone comes into our home, we don't we don't say that we attacked them. We say we are protecting our home. That's right. We don't call them shark attacks now, anyway. Oh, what do we call them? Bites. They're no longer attacks. They're just bites. All right. That's kind of stupid, but again, that's like you know, if you're swimming in the Amazon and an anaconda eats you, thinning the herd. You know my answer: thinning the herd. If you are in waters where there are crocodiles or alligators and they attack and eat you. Um, Maybe they just want a pair of human boots. (laughs) They were hoping for a human belt (laughs) and a purse to go with it. That's right. Um, (laughs) These animals were in their their territory and we've taken over so much of their space already. Mm -hmm. You're right. And yet the immediate instinct is to hold them to some moral standard that they don't understand and go and kill them for having killed a human. Because mm-hmm. the human was stupid. You are correct. I don't... So, when you look at all of this and you think about all of this, we think, or we may think, that, God, that was such a stupid, stupid way to handle things. Okay. Thinking that animals have a moral sense. Yes. Okay? And as... People moved more into modern times. Animals were penned up. They were kept in cages. They're out of view now. They're away from people, so those attacks don't really happen as much. But if you think about this, you could have a different interpretation. That the people who put these animals on trial saw aspects of the animal behavior that we simply don't see anymore. Okay. Okay. And if you think about it, these bizarre animal trials could actually teach us how fundamentally our relationship with animals has changed over time and also how we've lost the ability to empathize with them as beings. Oh, wow. This almost sounds like the conversation I was just having with you. People living in pre-industrial agricultural societies used to interact almost daily, constantly with their domesticated animals, with their cows, their chickens, their goats, their pigs. 17th century farming account books suggest that farmers of that era spent up to 16 hours a day with their animals, caring for them, observing them, paying attention to them. They watched these creatures make choices. They watched them respond to human directives. Right. They watched these creatures engage in social relationships, and they watched them distinguish themselves as individuals with unique personalities. Right. So this observational Intimacy lasted well into the 19th century until we began putting them in feedlots right. and packing plants, which just consolidated the business of animal agriculture and eventually took over the practices that kept the animals and the farmers in close proximity. When you did that, a change in mentality followed because humans no longer thought of them as animals. They're just objects. The pig, explained one our agricultural manual from the 1880s, is one of the most valuable machines on the farm. That was in the 1880s. Well, yeah, it's a machine. It helps get rid of your dead bodies. Today. <laughs> Today, with about 99% of animal products deriving from factory farms, this view of animals as object persists. Right. That's how we just think of them. We don't consider the fact that 
that hamburger you had for dinner last night actually came from a living being. Right. However, if you talk to the 1% of farmers who still work on small farms and they still maintain the, the traditional agricultural practices, they will tell you stories that evoke the pre-modern view of animals. A former goat farmer wrote that she was so charmed by her animals' individual qualities that she actually started to think of them as part of the family. Okay. Another small-scale goat farmer in California writes that each of his goats has a personality and I care about each of them as individuals and notes that he feels a very large twinge of regret when he has to take them to slaughter. I can see that, though. A heritage pig farmer in Hamasasa, Florida, writes this about his animals. These are amazing animals. Each one has its own personality. My little pig, Marshall... He's a water hose fanatic. It's like watching a three-year-old playing in the sprinkler in the front yard. In the modern field studying animal behavior, when you, when you study it scientifically, when you study it objectively, it just confirms that farm animals, especially pigs, are really super smart. Right. We don't think of them that way, but they are smart. Okay. In the most recently publicized study confirming that they have this rare perception. Pigs were shown to be able to use mirrors as tools when they're looking for food. Oh. In other studies, pigs have quickly learned new things, like one of them actually learned how to play video games. They display <laughs> an unusual memory for where their food is stored, and pigs will actually manipulate each other to get to the food. Right. So the New York Times wrote an article, and when they were referring to this kind of research, the New York Times wrote, we keep probing the animal world for signs of intelligence, and we're always surprised when we discover it. This suggests that there is something basically wrong with our expectations. Right. So there is something fundamentally wrong with our assumptions about pre-modern animal trials. Medieval Europeans gave animals the benefit of the doubt. Silly as it may sound, they gave animals the benefit of the doubt. We condemn billions of animals to conditions that amount to torture without a trial. So which practice really makes less sense? I think that you're walking a really, really debatable line. Oh, absolutely. Because at what point do you say, this animal is intelligent enough and this one isn't? Right. And even within species, I mean, okay, we know someone who has a dog that is autistic so, how do you say, well, that dog is smart enough, but this dog isn't? Right. Or this breed of dog is, and that breed of dog isn't? Right. I'm not answering these questions. I'm or, just throwing them out there. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Or, oh, the bumblebees. Those bees, they're, they're highly intelligent. Those ones, not so smart. So, you know what I mean? I, I, I don't think there's yeah, really... Yeah, so who's smarter? You know, the, the, the medieval people who put their animals on trial and assumed that they had a conscience and morals and values, or the modern-day people who just cage 99% of the animals that are <clears throat> in our nation and treat them like there's, animals. Well, and here's the thing. There's also that fine line between people who view animals as objects and entertainment... Mm -hmm. Or the people who go to the other extreme where their animal is, in their eyes, essentially a human being. Yeah. You know, I... Stuff to think about. I think stuff. it doesn't matter where you... who you. I think it, no matter who you talk to, you're going to get a different answer. 
Oh, absolutely. Very much so. Yeah. Just interesting stuff to think about. Oh, yeah. I, before I did that story, would never have considered anybody putting an animal on trial and sending, you know, sending your rats a cease and desist. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to try on that. I'll let you know how it goes. With your weevils? With the the strawberry weevils, yeah. We'll pray for you. Thank you. Me and all of our listeners, all 14 of them, (laughs) we're going to pray for you and your weevils. And may you find peace you know at the what? end it, of your journey. <laughs> and honestly, it doesn't even bother me. They're tiny. I know. I see them occasionally, and I go, ugh, another one. And I squish it with a piece of paper, and I flush it down the toilet. No trial? No trial. Oh. They get no trial. The trial is, you came into my home. <laughs> I'm standing my ground. <laughs> oh. with, a, with a square of toilet paper. Sweet. <laughs> Gun would be overkill. Flamethrower. Flamethrower. <laughs> oh, thank you to everybody who stopped by and spent part of their day with us listening to this very, very silly. Oh my gosh. If not thought provoking story. It was definitely, wow, different. Definitely yeah. different. Definitely different. Hoping that you enjoyed yourself today with all of our stuff. Um, you can find us at Facebook. Tell me something I didn't need to know. You can uh, email us at TMSIDNTK. And we're on Twitter, TMSIDNTK. Yep. We love hearing your suggestions, your ideas, your comments. We do. I love love listener suggestions. Leave us a rating and a review. Those really do help us. They help us know how we're doing. It also helps us get our name out there. Yes. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, we've had some really amazing listener suggestions that I've turned into some fantastic stories. Of course. Um, if you enjoyed your time with us today, feel free to follow podcast, leave us a rating and review like Hannah said. You can find us pretty much anywhere, anywhere you listen to a podcast anymore. Yep. We're everywhere. Um, feel free to share the podcast. Whether they want to listen or not, feel free to share with them. If there is a, a podcast streaming platform that you regularly use and we're not on, but you would like to hear us on, let us know and we can look into what it takes to get ourselves on there. Yeah, if that makes it easier for you. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. We're more than happy to, to do what it takes to make it as easy as possible for the people who listen. If you have your own podcast and you want to cross advertise with us, hit us up. We're very open to that. Yep, yep. So, um, podcast is hosted by myself, Mary Swartz, and Hannah Green. What? Now you tell me. Oh, yeah, we're recording. Oh, crap. Forgot to tell you. <laughs> we're live. <laughs> All right. All righty. Have a great weekend, guys, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Driving last Friday on her way to Cincinnati on a snow white Christmas Eve Going home to see her mama and her daddy with the baby in the back seat Fifty miles to go and she was running low on faith and gasoline It'd been a long, hard year She had a lot on her mind and she didn't pay attention She was going away too fast 
Before she knew it, she was spinning on a thin black sheet of glass She saw both her lives flash before her eyes She didn't even have time to cry She was so scared She threw her hands up in the air Jesus, take the Take the 